You're listening to the Opportunity Zones podcast. Get ready to grow your wealth with insights and strategies for qualified opportunity fund investors. And now here's your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm Jimmy Atkinson. As many of my listeners know, most Opportunity Zone investment opportunities are real estate-based, but operating business investment is certainly possible. One such firm working on utilizing the Opportunity Zone incentive for early-stage venture capital investment is Spring Mountain Capital, and I'm pleased to be joined today by their vice president, Jack Janiszewski. Jack joins us today from Midtown Manhattan. Jack, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Jimmy, and it's great to see you here. Uh, as I have said to you a couple of times, I've been a longtime listener and uh, a first-time uh, interviewer here. Uh, you were in this podcast, and this whole community has been instrumental in helping us, uh, you know, get an understanding of of the OZ space back in the early innings when we were getting started. And I'm really thrilled to be here with you today. Yeah, that's uh, great to hear, Jack. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah, you and I, I guess you've been following Opportunity DB and listening to the Opportunity Zones podcast for several years now. So thanks for listening. And it's great to have you on the show. You and I first met in person just a couple months back at the beginning of November in Washington, D.C. at the Novogratic Opportunity Zone Summit. I love those in-person events. I I hope we have some more of those in 2024 because they can be rather catalytic uh, getting to actually meet people in person. But with that said, Jack, let's turn our attention to the task at hand today. Let's uh, get on with the interview here. And uh, Jack, as as my my audience of high net worth investors, advisors, other Opportunity Zone stakeholders, uh, maybe they're familiar with Spring Mountain Capital, some of them. For for anyone who may be unfamiliar, can you briefly explain who is Spring Mountain Capital? What are you guys? And uh, how does the firm operate within the Opportunity Zones industry? Sure. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, like uh, like you said, I'm I'm Jack Janiszewski. I've been with Spring Mountain Capital uh, since uh, 2019. Uh, I first actually joined as a as a research intern, frankly, uh, sort of looking into the OZs. It was a it was a project of ours, uh, just sort of academic, and it's you know well in line with the, the firm's ethos of sort of looking for. Uh, you know, unique special situations uh, that uh, result in potentially strategies for our clients. So to back up, you know, Spring Mountain Capital was formed uh, in 2001 uh, by Lonnie Steffens and uh, Greg Ho, uh, basically uh, two gentlemen that sort of attempted retirement and failed and and said, uh, let's let's uh, let's come up with a, a kind of a boutique sort of investment office and alternative uh, shop that developed a strategy around what the McKinsey Investment Office sort of initially pioneered uh, uh, around uh, special situations. And the firm is in five different groups. Uh, We offer a range of products, uh, you know, up and down the risk curve, uh, fixed income products, all the way to what we're doing, which is early stage venture capital. And each group kind of operates uh, in their own little pod. Um, Back in 2019, we sort of were probed by an investor, you know, asked about opportunity zones. They said, hey, you're looking at this. Uh, what do you guys think about this incentives? This was uh, uh, pre-regs, uh, you know, the, the final regulations. And we were sort of curious about it. And uh, we thought abstractly, uh, given the fact that the firm doesn't do uh, real estate investing, uh, we said, well, what if, is there a way to do this? Is there even a way to do what, Spring Mountain has been doing in recent years, which is, you know, technology investing in, in you know, 
traditionally Series A uh, startup companies. Uh, could we do something here? And it resulted in us doing a lot of work around uh, how we would possibly do it. Does it work in the regs? Uh, is it feasible? How might we structure a fund that could do, uh, you know, kind of VC-like investing? And um, how uh, we might be able to provide a differentiated offering uh, on both a opportunity zone kind of context and also a, a venture capital uh, context. And that resulted in the creation of uh, what we call uh, WIN internally, W-H-I-N, which stands for West Harlem Innovation Network. Uh, as the name implies, uh, we can get into a lot more detail of what the portfolio is kind of meant to look like and what our vision for community impact is. But we use the word network uh, deliberately. Uh, we're trying to build a cohort of companies, early stage businesses that grow together in a community and feed off of one another based on the sectors they're focusing on, based on the people in there, and crucially, based on the mission of social impact that we have for these specific regions. Uh, this means hiring locally. This means uh, uh, you know developing uh, job opportunities that have long-term, higher-paying uh, propositions uh, for these uh, these communities. Um, so that's just a, a very high level. Uh, we can go into some other uh, specifics around, for example, what sectors we look at and how we work with the community and, and other sorts of aspects. But I thought I'd just stop there and, and uh, let you respond. Yeah, that's great, Jack. And uh, I do want to dive into what you're doing. Uh, within that opportunity zone dynamic through the WIN, West Harlem Innovation Network, uh, a little bit later in the program today. Uh, I, I want to get a quick uh, introduction to you personally, though, Jack. Sure. Uh, just briefly, what, what's your background? Uh, you said you mentioned that uh, you arrived at Spring Mountain Capital in 2019, pre-final regs. The final regs were, were rolled out uh, in December of that year, December of 2019, if memory yeah. serves correct. But, you know, what's your background and, and what's your role today at Spring Mountain Capital? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I, my mom tells me I need to talk more about myself, but, uh, better about myself, but I don't like this sort of, uh, this sort of thing, but I, I started, uh, before working at Spring Mountain, I was, uh, at a startup technology company, an ed tech company, education, uh, based in Philadelphia, um, and I worked, uh, I was the first hire, uh, and, uh, focused on basically mathematics, education, after school, math remediation for first generation to college students. Uh, that was really motivating to me. I have a very deep passion for the education space, which is one of our sectors, which we can get into. Uh, and I bring a lot of the kind of, uh, startup, uh, ethos and kind of frankly lived experience uh, to uh, the venture side of the of the office now. It, it's often the case that the kind of pipeline for allocators is, you know, you go work at an investment bank and then you spin out to a kind of uh, private equity or a venture capital firm. And 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 that's how it is uh, in many cases. Um, and we, we at Wynn aren't really like that. A lot of our team, actually, frankly, everyone on the team uh, has uh, more operational experience than uh, you know, explicit investment uh, banking experience. The firm Spring Mountain, we have a ton of resources internally and expertise on deal structuring, on fund organization, all this other stuff. But to really make early stage work, we really feel a need to get into the get into the weeds and with our companies and work directly with them. And I we have found, especially with early stage and social impact, that empathy is deeply important for this. And so having 
gone through, you know, startup land. Uh, we feel we're better at both identifying opportunities, identifying founder fit with, uh, with, uh, with an opportunity. Founder market fit is almost as, if not more important than product market fit in many cases. And, uh, and also sort of, like I said, having that empathy to understand what it's really like to run these startup companies, it's a lot of stress and, uh, and having that operational capacity is both good for the business and good for the interaction with the team. And ideally, uh, you know, good for our investors as a result. Um, so it's sort of a, a risk mitigation strategy. But anyway, that's more on how we're thinking about it. I come from that, that world of, of startups and uh, have a deep passion for uh, other entrepreneurs that are in these spaces uh, trying to change the world. And uh, I'm deeply you know, motivated by my lived experience and who I'm working with on a daily basis. Good. And now you're leveraging the opportunity zone incentive to drive investment into early stage companies, uh, those founder driven companies that uh, it seems like you're very passionate about, Jack. Uh, and, and again, it's 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 not a totally unique, but it's very rare that I talk to someone who's using the Opportunity Zones incentive as a way to attract capital equity investment specifically into operating businesses and venture capital. There's a couple of other groups around the country doing it, but uh, no. I was really pleased to meet you, Jack, and learn more about Spring Mountain Capital because there really aren't a lot doing it. And I oftentimes wonder why there aren't more. Um, but anyways, talk a little bit about that. How exactly... Are you utilizing opportunity zones to drive equity investment into early stage companies right now? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Jimmy. That, that's it's the real it's the real question here, in my opinion. And and frankly, the my goal uh, for those who are listening, uh, uh, you know, here is to uh, inform, uh, remind, in some cases, uh, you know, that this is possible and that the real. Um, you know, one of the spirit of the law, you know, behind the original legislation, uh, which I think Cory Booker has done a good job of kind of enunciating over the years, uh, and several others as well, is is to have a broad-based sort of um, holistic economic development across all axes, right? Not simply real estate, not simply one thing. And, and we just take the approach that we have the expertise in the business side, and we want to focus on, on that versus uh, versus the exclusively real estate um, uh, kind of uh, methodology. And, um, you know, we basically have, uh, you know, a sort of vision for uh, a community where if you develop these businesses that are in higher paying uh, jobs, uh, developing technology roles that are, you know, more, uh, you know, risk mitigated, if you have something like a pandemic, it's not necessarily frontline workers, you have feasibility for remote work, you have uh, higher paying roles in these technology enabled businesses, you'll uh, raise the the tide of a whole community uh, versus um, uh, simply allocating into, into uh, you know, a, a mixed use uh, uh, development or something of this sort. Um, it's not a, it's not a knock against it. It's just a differentiated approach in terms of, of the OZ context. Um, we, we, we are proud to be kind of part of the few in the proud. Uh, on the business side, and we're well aware of the complexities. Uh, you know, you said there's, you know, some hesitation around this, and it's it's justified. I I like to joke that pe uh, people have feet, uh, and buildings don't. You know, if you're in a place for ten years, how do you get a business to to stay there? How how do you ensure that your investors will get uh, that benefit 
if if you're dealing with humans instead of assets, um, you, you know, real assets. Um, we have a lot of thoughts around this. We have a lot of uh, technical structuring that we do uh, around, uh, uh, you know, for risk mitigation purposes, ensuring that we remain compliant. And if such as we uh, we don't, we have ways of resolving it. But um, we also primarily, first and foremost, you know, focus on, like I said earlier, that founder, uh, that founder fit, where these businesses, uh, in addition to passing all of the criteria that they would traditionally have to in a VC context, that they would need to to get an investment from Spring Mountain normally, which means, you know, market, product, team, everything that you can imagine that a venture investment would require, we have an additional strata. Uh, a matrix that they need to meet with that is simply around mission alignment, right? They need to believe in our vision for uh, economic development, for equity, for uh, including, uh, you know, uh, diverse voices in your team uh, and uh, driving uh, social impact. And that's a huge piece of our due diligence uh, when we look at these businesses. So give me some examples now. I, I, it all sounds great, but I'd like to hear a couple of concrete examples. What Which sectors specifically sure. are you in? And then maybe you can give one or two case studies of, of some actual portfolio companies uh, that you have invested in. Sure. Yeah. And, and I'll do a quick thing on on the strategy itself uh, as, as well mm -hmm. related. But we focus on, uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about sectors. Uh, I view this as a real privilege, frankly. Uh, the OZ timeline of 10 years to get the, you know, the, the big the big kahuna at the end yep. uh, is, uh, you know, we were given the chance to think in a decade. Uh, a lot of VC firms are on the, the, the flywheel where you get the fund, you allocate, you raise the next one. Uh, and, you know, you kind of uh, dupe the strategy or you tweak it, you know what I mean? And you rely on your uh, your, your past performance, uh, uh, which doesn't indicate future results, but it seems to uh, work that way. Um, we said, what are 10-year problems? Uh, what are really ambitious, big, hairy, audacious goals uh, in specific sectors that we have knowledge of and expertise in and we could allocate into, but we're excited about solving? Broadly speaking... We focus on businesses that are developing uh, for-profit solutions, business solutions uh, to the disproportionate health, educational, and socioeconomic outcomes in historically disenfranchised or marginalized communities and geographies. So that's a lot of buzzwords. Uh, you know what I mean? What, what does that really mean? This means that uh, we're focusing on life science uh, investing, education investing, uh, and technology businesses that are, we call portfolio amplifiers, businesses that accrete to the development of the portfolio, basically business uh, B2B SaaS type products um, and other other uh, amplifiers, which I can, one of my examples will be. And uh, we also have a strategy focusing on food and beverage, uh, which is orthogonal to, you know, these other things. Uh, but what this what this is meant to be is a comprehensive strategy an ecosystem, to use a buzzword, where we have different types of businesses floating around in the same environment that have different points of entry for people up and down a skills chain, right? You have a life science business that is high-tech, PhD-driven, tinkering with a product, right? But when you scale, you're producing a, a chip, 
a microfluidic chip, right? And that chip can be produced there, you know, in an opportunity zone, in the light manufacturing context. And folks that are that have been working in the community as uh, in, a, in a bakery can come in, get some training from potentially one of our education companies and upskill themselves into producing microfluidic chips. My boss, Greg, uh, has this funny little tidbit that he likes to say. Uh, uh, it's where you can brew beer. Uh, you get a dollar for a pint. Uh, if you brew a biologic, you get a $100,000 for a pint. It's not exactly the numbers, but the idea is you're doing the same type of uh, work with different inputs and you're producing a product that has much more value, economic value for that geography while being paid more for doing that work. So uh, that's a, a, a amorphous example, but that's a business that we invested in. Uh, the business is Atlas Exomics. Uh, they, they started out uh, in our office, uh, uh, literally incubated internally. And they are uh, now uh, running on, on full cylinders. Uh, you can't get into so many specifics, but they're doing various grants with uh, the Fed on several different fronts, uh, Cancer Moonshot and other kinds of very impressive projects. They've developed a microfluidics uh, chip that is uh, um, you know, running very advanced uh, uh, multi-omic analyses. It's like very technical genomics work that is at the end of the day, uh, to belittle my friends at Atlas intensely, uh, a chip. They're making a chip and selling a chip and, and services around it. And as we scale, we expect that business to employ tons of folks. Uh, whereas you could invest in an Instagram in a VC context and have a great performance. It's a fabulous way to invest uh, and to be an investor in. Uh, we thought that we should build businesses that are, broadly speaking, bigger that have more employees and impact the community in a, in a more holistic manner. So that's one concrete example uh, in the form of a, a real business that is in the portfolio uh, that's in line with our, our strategy for community development. One other one that I'll give, and I'll stop uh, rambling here, is a portfolio amplifier business. Uh, we struggled uh, internally with uh, hiring uh, folks uh, that uh, hiring people at our firm and in our businesses, right? Finding the right talent. And so we incubated a recruitment firm uh, called Athari, uh, which focuses on historically overlooked types of candidates, right? They go where other people don't. They don't use traditional resume uh, heuristics. They're a white glove kind of recruiting service that's using technology to holistically assess a candidate's capacities, right? So it's a tech-enabled recruiting firm that uh, we built for our own purposes. And now that business is not only servicing other you know, businesses around the country, but our own portfolio as well, right? It's meant to be a kind of holistic ecosystem where businesses are helping and feeding on one another. Uh, and so that's just another example of something in the portfolio that's in that portfolio amplifier uh, wing. That's great. Those are two great examples, Jack. Thank you. I love the uh, the pint analogy. Uh, <laughs> pint of beer for a dollar, a pint of biologic for honestly, like a hundred thousand dollars for a pint of biologics might uh, sound cheap to me. Yeah, but I was going to say I missed a zero. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, my 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 limit is one or two zeros. There, that's yeah. a lot of biologic. Anyway, um, well, the, uh, the 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 those two portfolio companies, great examples. Are 
is is everything you're doing located um in West Harlem or do you do you do any any investment outside of that area? Yeah, so we focused on uh we focused on Harlem for a couple of reasons um there, which I'll get into in a minute but the the short answer to your question is no, you know, we invest in other geographies as well. Okay. The legislation enables this. Uh, that company Atlas that I mentioned is actually spun out of technology out of Yale. Uh, one of the things which we could potentially get into more detail uh, later on is, you know, a lot of these life science businesses are spun out of university research parks that uh, happen to be in opportunity zones. Um, and our model, especially with early stage, is designed to incubate businesses uh, as well as invest in a more traditional sense in established uh, companies. Um and so uh, we have an outpost in New Haven uh, for life science specifically um, due to our relationships at, 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 at Yale and other, other uh, folks up there. Um, but Harlem uh, was chosen for many reasons. Uh, the, the kind of obvious one is we're here in New York and, and we really want to be involved uh, in, the, in, you know, in the day-to-day here. Uh, which uh, is core to our strategy, uh, being deeply involved with businesses. We can circle back to that point later. But um, the question that we were often asked uh, when we were building this in the in the first year, mid-pandemic, by the way, um, was why Harlem? Uh, you know, why why here uh, versus another place? Um, and you know, over time, the the question became, where else but this place, right? Harlem is a, a deeply special uh, region, uh, historically, culturally. Uh, it it has a very deep impact uh, on the world, frankly. Uh, and we are of the belief, maybe it's Sinatra, maybe it's the New York chutzpah that we've got here. Uh, but if we can make it here, we can make it anywhere. Uh, the goal of this model is do it right here in Harlem, in New York, and scale this model, announce to the world that this is possible, and scale it across the country to the, the Harlems of the world, as as our community partners up there like to say. Um, but there there should be, you know, a, a thin in Philadelphia, you know, a, a din in Detroit, you know, it's badly named, we haven't really figured out the naming convention, but there should be this model uh, spread across the country in OZ's uh, around uh, around the U.S., you know that was the original intent, I think, uh, of of the law, uh, as I said earlier, the spirit of the law. Um, so, a little bit about Harlem there. I, I don't mind the name. I think you can uh, bring a Flynn to Fort Worth here, down in Fort Worth, <laughs> Texas, where where I am. Uh, no, this is this is great, great background on what you guys are building within the startup world. These investments in these particular types of early stage venture capital companies, a couple of examples you've given already. Just shifting gears a little bit, I'm curious, what is the, how are they structured for the purposes of an opportunity zone equity investment? Talk to me a little bit about uh, how you've structured all these portfolio companies, where the fund sits, the qualified opportunity fund, and, and how, if I'm an investor, with capital gains, I can come in and participate as an equity investor. Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. So uh, the the fund itself, um, you know, when when runs an opportunity, Spring Mountain, I should say, manages an opportunity zone fund under the the Win brand. Uh, uh, this is a this functions and structured and files as a QOF, 
you know, this is a single uh, entity uh, that, uh, you know, does its assets test just like everybody else that listens to this podcast. It, it, it it's, uh, follows all the traditional bells and whistles. The difference is that we take capital that comes in and push it into Quasbees, right? And all of these startups are uh, qualified opportunities on businesses uh, when they uh, receive uh, our our investment, uh, either through you know the realities on the ground or through the various safe harbors that exist. Um, and we, in, as part of our diligence, uh, do a lot of work on that OZ compliance stuff as well. A lot of it is an uphill battle, you know, getting a, a business, uh, uh, you know, a, a group of people that don't uh, know much about this uh, to understand that we are structured in this way and you need to be based here or you need to uh, be working this much in this place or, you know, and, and getting everyone to understand it. The It goes back to my point earlier around mission alignment, right? Uh, I'll go back to structure, I promise, but the the teams need to be aligned with what we are uh, restricted by, to put it maybe cynically, right, uh, or a negative light, and believe in it, right, that they're going to help us help uh, the the community by being there and and following the, the rules of the road that we set out. On a technical level, we mitigate this uh, through the, the deal docs that we work with the businesses, right, where we, in writing, in ink, uh, you know, say you will be a QOZB, right? And and that's the deal. And to take it or leave it. You want the money? You got to be this. And uh, that can be, a, you know, a sticking point in the discussions with any business. Uh, generally speaking, startups want the capital and they're willing to to work with you uh, based on what uh, standards you have. Um, but we we have various kind of levers to pull in order to get us as a fund, you know, comfortable with uh, the the risks associated with it being a QSEB. Then when it comes to compliance, we have internally, you know, an engine around ensuring and verifying and memorializing uh, compliance uh, as a QSEB uh, on a on the six month intervals that we're required to. And, you know, it's it's extra work, no doubt, uh, but it's it's work that we're happy to do because of what we're trying to accomplish. And the structure overall, is it one qualified opportunity fund that essentially holds a broad multi-asset portfolio of multiple QOZBs, correct. I guess one QOZB for each each uh, startup, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And okay. uh, forgive me for not uh, being more clear with that. Uh, it basically, it's one, it's one QOF that has, uh, you know, cash for stock in several QOZBs. And uh, and that's it's basically like a any old uh, venture capital uh, fund. Uh, it just happens to be a QF, and uh, and you know we worry about the, the compliance. We try and take that risk off of the uh, portfolio companies as much as possible. Um, and uh, and like I said, you know, bake in the uh, you know the the rules of the road uh, as much as we can. Good. So if I'm I don't know if I'm a family office or an ultra wealthy investor, or or maybe I'm just one of your run of the mill, high net worth investors. Maybe I trigger a gain yep. uh, in in my stock portfolio. I, I, I sell some real estate or it doesn't matter. I trigger some sort of gain, right? Yep. And I, I, I have a couple of options. I the, the one option is I can just cut you a check essentially and be an LP investor in your 
multi-asset portfolio holding QOF. Um, I'm curious though, if, if I've already formed my own captive QOF and I'm deal sourcing, I cannot go directly into your QOF because the current regulations Correct. prohibit that. Uh, but is there a way for me to invest alongside your QOF if I like one or two or more of, of your portfolio companies? Can I kind of kick the tires on those? And ultimately, can my captive QOF invest directly into the QOZB? Do, do you assist with that? Yeah, uh, part of the, uh, thank you, Jimmy, part of the, uh, you know, like I said, the top, you know, one of the goals of this conversation with you for me is, is, you know, the, the lightning rod of innovation for OZs itself, right? Indicating that this is a differentiated OZ strategy and it can be done. Um, so all of the businesses are QOZBs. Uh, so uh, such as they have, uh, uh, you know, investment rounds available, any old investor, even if it's, you know, you know, Bob down the street that happens to have hundred thousand dollars in gains and likes what he's, what these guys are working on, they could set up a, a captive fund and do it that way. At the end of the day, the QSEB on their cap table, they don't care, right? You know, they are, they're going to do what they're going to do. It's just a name, right? And if that entity happens to be a QOF, then all right, bully for them. It, you know, the businesses, uh, it's a, we can, opine on this at the end, you know, at the end of the day, the businesses don't benefit from this uh, incentive as much as. Correct. Um, so um, that's just to say, uh, uh, yeah, it, it is something that, um, uh, you know, in terms of the lightning rod, uh, accessing the portfolio uh, can be done. One thing that we're working on internally, um, and I can't get into so much detail immediately, uh, uh, given that it's a, a real kind of real time situation is uh, a co-investment uh, vehicle that does exactly what you're talking about, where uh, rather than Joe down the street who already has a QOF set up and is looking for a deal, um, someone just had a gain event and they don't know what to do with it, right? Uh, and in that case, we as a firm, rather than the parent fund, uh, can uh, set up a single purpose vehicle or a captive fund, as a, so whatever you want, to, whatever language you want to put on it. Uh, for specific investments in specific QOZBs or a range of them, uh, such as those rounds are available in the portfolio. No, that's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I've I've heard a lot of different terms: sidecar deal, yeah, sidecar special arrangement, purpose, special yeah. purpose vehicle, captive QOF, but essentially allowing for an investor uh, to to go directly into a QOZB. Uh, no, that's all. That's all great. Yeah, so a lot of different ways to participate. And uh, yeah, one thing you mentioned is the businesses don't directly benefit from the OZ tax incentive. There's no tax incentive for the portfolio companies. The, the way that they benefit is this is a this is a differentiator in terms of raising yeah. equity because they can they can tout the fact that hey, yeah, I I have this great uh startup company um, you may already be interested in investing in me. Um, you know, just, I mean, think of like, uh, the, the, a pitch that any startup might give, uh, to, to anyone or, or think of shark tank, right. Yeah. Go on that show and pitch a, pitch a great product that, that, uh, needs some investment. But, but on top of that, I offer you the investor, these amazing tax benefits through this, uh, federally designated program called opportunity zone investing. Yeah. So it, it, essentially, it's a it's a it's a way to 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 attract more equity in a, a startup, 
right? I, I was referring more, I totally agree with you. And uh, it's definitely a, an it factor for a lot of these types of businesses. Uh, and a lot of startups, I'm I'm shocked, uh, uh, you know, when I tell people about this and they're like, oh, I'm a, <laughs> like, they don't know that they're based in a zone and that, you know what I mean? That they already are. And, and, you know, more people need to be made aware of this fact uh, for, for the exact reason you're talking about can attract uh, more capital. I was more speaking to the the tax gains themselves. I mean, like if you're a founder of one of these startups, exactly. you know, you don't get the, you know, the OZ benefits, you know, as a, you know, by owning this company, right? Unless, and, unless um, you, uh, you inject your own capital gains correct, into the uh, startup correct, formation of correct, the, uh, of the business. And I, 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 am hopeful that, uh, I'm sure there are some founders out there who maybe they sold the previous business and they're rolling yes. over some of that gain into the formation of a new startup. So in that case, yes. But otherwise, yeah, if you're just a, a, a startup founder and you're not putting any of your own gains dollars in, uh, which is probably the case most of the time, yeah. uh, you're absolutely right. There's there's no direct um, tax benefit to them. It's one uh, thing I think we should, you know, should be discussed in the space. I think that it's something that, uh, you know, that and, uh, you know, accredited investor kind of, you know, more holistic reform of, of how we think about community benefit uh, in this in this space. Um, you know, how do you give access to the OZs when inherently uh, the legislation is written around capital gains? You know, who who has capital gains? Right. We're talking about a specific cohort of people uh, in our country. And, and, uh, generally speaking, it's not the folks that are, are, are living in the zones already. Generally speaking, speaking in broad generalities, but, but, uh, we need to think about this as a, as a, as an industry. Uh, it's something I hope is discussed more. Correct. Well, I think that is, uh, a long-term goal for the opportunity zone industry. Short-term goal, uh, legislatively speaking is to get the incentive extended by at least an additional two years Yep. and put on, some other uh, reforms around transparency and reporting. I've talked at length about that pending legislation. Beyond that, once that extension legislation gets passed, fingers crossed, there is this idea developing in the industry uh, of an Opportunity Zones 2.0. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, pieces of that would include the ability to uh, exclude capital gains not just from capital gains dollars that are invested, but also ordinary dollars that are invested. Because right. as you as, you know, as you mentioned, Jack, you know the folks that have capital gains are um, you know the probably the wealthiest ten percent of the the people who live in this country uh, by and large, accredited investors, basically, which is roughly about ten percent of the households in the U.S. qualify as accredited investors. That brings me to my next question, somewhat related: Who are your investors at Spring Mountain Capital typically? Yeah. So uh, again, I won't go into, into, into super specifics, but broadly speaking, sure. Wynn is structured in such a way that um, because we're uh, effectively operating under a traditional, this is the parent fund, uh, uh, Wynn, the, the, the main, uh, the main uh, single asset. And again, uh, that's, that's uh, just to clarify, that's W-H-I-N, and it stands Curry. for West Harlem Innovation Network. Co correct. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, That's all right. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, we focus on uh, you know cohorts of investors that uh, obviously, as as we were just alluding to, have a, a large amount of capital gains in a semi-frequent sort of way. These are the high-frequency trading firms. These are the kind of institutional LP types. 
uh, because one of the things that we struggled with uh, originally were um, uh, the exact problem that we just discussed, where people have a gain that's acute and very precise. You know, I just sold my business for X, Y, Z dollars. What do I do with it? Uh, and a lot of folks were um, unwilling to sign up for a capital commitment, uh, you know, where it's a five-year uh, commitment uh, period and uh, capital calls every, you know, twice a year. Uh, that's unorthodox in the OZ space, uh, from what I've seen, uh, given the kind of time horizon and nature of uh, of, of how the industry works. Um, so generally speaking, we're focused on, uh, you know, the kind of institutional types, uh, the ultra high net worths, um, the, the folks that either have line of sight on uh, a, a relatively, uh, you know, set cadence of gains or uh, an ambivalence, uh, you know what I mean, towards uh, whether or not the aggregate commitment is all gains or not, uh, you know, so that that's, we can take both, uh, we're structured in that way. Um, so uh, they just won't get the benefit for the aggregate commitment. Um, and then the others is frankly, uh, per our mission, which I said at the beginning of, of you know, focusing on businesses that are mitigating, uh, you know, the disproportionate impact, uh, social, uh, socioeconomic, educational, and uh, health outcomes in these communities. We're talking uh, and about socially impacted-minded investors, you know, people that are motivated by our mission and believe in, in what we're trying to do. Uh, so folks that are uh, focused on impact, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, we don't we don't say the, the three letter word anymore uh, uh, with uh, environmental, uh, social, and governance. But but uh, you know the the folks that are um, uh, motivated by our mission uh, uh, to to impact the community. So several different cohorts. Um, generally speaking, uh, you know the ultra high net worth types uh, that have a kind of set set cadence. That's great. Um... We're, we're kind of winding down on time here. You you mentioned something a little bit earlier. I wanted to turn our attention back to the um, what what you're doing in New Haven, Connecticut, your network there, and this concept of spinning early stage startup businesses out yeah. of university parks, oftentimes, by the way, which are happen to be located in opportunity zones. I actually had Brian Darmody of the AURP on this show many years ago. I'll, I'll try to link to that episode in the show notes for today's episode. Uh, I know you recently talked with him, but can you go into some more detail on that concept and and how you may be rolling that out uh, yeah. within Spring Mountain Capital? Thanks, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, the uh, you know we we've spent a lot of the time here talking about how uh, you know our strategy is sort of differentiated and. Uh, in the OZ context, mm -hmm. uh, the thing that, you know, we're differentiated in, in terms of how we think about early stage is we deploy a model. Uh, it's kind of emerging. I encourage your listeners to kind of look into it. Um, it, it you know, the, it's called the studio model. It goes by different names. There's foundry, there's startup, uh, uh, labs, it, you know, there's all sorts of different names. Incubator, but, uh, accelerator. Is there, those, yeah. So, those so, terms? No, nah, yeah, and so incubators, accelerators are in that sort of uh, that 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 uh, that chain. Okay. Uh, studios like to kind of differentiate themselves from incubator accelerator. It's meant to be a kind of uh, an augmentation of it, uh, a kind of super accelerator where you are uh, directly partnering, in some cases, founding the businesses yourself. Right? You have 
uh, kind of set strategy and businesses are being spun out of a out of a factory, you know, a, a foundry as they're, you know, sometimes called start of a Got studio, it. right? You're working together to solve a problem and it results in the creation of a business. Um, uh, the example I gave earlier of Athari is enigmatic of this, right? Where, you know, we internally were working on how to solve a human capital problem and it resulted in the formation of a business. Um, the good thing with that strategy, right, is multifaceted, but early stage investing involves an immense amount of risk right? Always. And what we're trying to do with the studio model, both with our team, which I mentioned earlier in terms of operators and our sectors and strategy is really get into the weeds with these founders, really uh, work with them uh, to drive their businesses forward. Where that touches life science is really exciting, uh, both for, for the two points that we talked about earlier in terms of the scalability of this model uh, and uh, where we can uh, locate these uh, zone, these uh, strategies. Uh, a lot of university parks, research parks, a lot of universities, frankly, uh, the kind of flagship spots that are spinning out uh, IP um, in a life science context are based in OZs. Uh, I'd like to think that every governor uh, was thinking of our strategy uh, and uh, how we're going to commercialize intellectual property and build businesses that are representative of the communities they're based in when they pick these zones. I just don't think that's what happened. I think that I think that it was more luck than anything. But um, the idea is that if you're a founder or a scientist at a university, um, the commercialization of your technology is great. But if you are to do it, it will take you out of the out of the loop, right? Often, right? You got to quit your teaching job to go run this business. And our thinking with this is let us handle the business stuff, right? Let us spin out these businesses, base them right near you. You can visit, uh, <laughs> you know, you can go, go work in your lab and keep teaching while still being involved. And the company benefits from place-based synergies uh, of being affiliated and nearby that uh, university park. Um, and this is uh, a model that we've deployed in New Haven uh, with that business Atlas Exomics uh, that I mentioned earlier uh, and can and intend to do the same thing uh, all around the country one day. Um, you know, West Harlem is is based, you know, deliberately near some of the great university systems uh, in New York City. You know, City College is right on the hill with us and Columbia is right at the bottom. Uh, so that's that's kind of uh, the long term plan uh, around intellectual property and, and basing it in the communities. Um, it's synergistic. It, it's it's there. It's in the community. You get to hire locally. You get to do your impact that you want to do. And the university benefits, they get to kind of reference it, you know, in their own kind of collateral and say it's right down the street. You know, it's a it's a virtuous cycle around uh, business development in, in a life science context. Oh, that's a great concept. I I, I love it. Um, hopefully this is one of those concepts that continues to get built out more and more, particularly if opportunity zones get extended, give uh, give the industry a little bit more time to, to get their arms around that concept. I think it makes a lot of sense to work with university research parks to spin out qualified opportunity zone businesses. Absolutely. Uh, we're running low on time, as I mentioned a minute ago. Just a couple more questions for you, though, Jack. Just to zoom out, um, I'm wondering if there are any broader trends either in opportunity zones or venture capital investing that 
mm-hmm. you're keeping an eye on that that you want to comment on any any broader trends that that you see playing out over the next three to five years? Sure. Yeah, I, I was thinking about this before the call and and you know trends in OZs and and trends in and VC. You know they're kind of different different beasts. You know I'm we you know we are hoping for the pending legislation to to go through. Uh, and this OZ 2.0, uh, you know, those are two things I think that the whole industry, uh, you know, all operators, everyone listening, we all need to uh, follow Jimmy's lead and and let him lead us into the into the future of OZ's 2.0. I think, but I, I, you know, I think that there's a lot of great robust discussion on this and and uh, keeping this, extending this, and letting it gestate and grow and actually drive the impact is essential. And I think that, uh, you know, short-sightedness on this can result in uh, not uh, not effective uh, outcomes. So we're in support of that. On the VC side, um, you know, everyone loves talking about AI. Uh, you know, we're looking at it too. Everyone seems to be. Um, what we're really excited about um, is, ha- have been since we started actually before the Gen AI kind of craze started, uh, is around data. And uh, particularly, the personalization of of health and the personalization of education, and this is why you know we're focusing on those two sectors, life science and education. Um, these are areas of the economy at a macro level that are are super hot, uh, but they the problems around it are wicked and haven't been solved. Uh, you know we think that uh, patient capital uh, deployed through uh, a structure like ours is actually quite well suited for these longer term problems around neurodegenerative diseases, you know, um, personalizing education uh, through the use of data and uh, personalized uh, uh, health uh, data around specific disease sets. Uh, You need to have a long-term approach in order to solve these types of problems. So uh, we're really focused on on data uh, internally and, and those specific sectors, those specific problems. Awesome. Well, Jack, uh, thanks so much for sharing your insights today. One final question for you before I cut you loose. Uh, if we have anybody in the audience, any investors who might want to learn more about Win or Spring Mountain Capital, where can they go to learn more about you and your firm? Sure. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, the website is uh, springmountaincapital.com. Uh, uh, Win also, we have a little separate website as well, uh, which is uh, westerlandinnovationnetwork.com. Uh, you can also uh, type in uh, whin.nyc and it will take you to the website, which is nice and pithy. Um, uh, and my contact information, I'm, I'm happy to uh, share it with you, Jimmy, for the for the show notes. Um, you know, we we're happy to speak with anybody, uh, uh, you know, both uh, companies that are looking for investment, uh, investors that have questions on how we how we work. Uh, whatever, whatever works. I'm, uh, you know, thrilled to be on this podcast, as I mentioned. And, uh, you know, like I said, at the very top, uh, you know, really want to spread the word about how uh, this model uh, can serve as a real lightning rod, uh, you know, for both community-based economic development across the country, uh, but also the OZ space specifically. Uh, I will be super happy if, if everybody copies, you know, the model, uh, if it results in, you know, economic development in these, in these communities. Perfect. Uh, well, that's great, Jack. Uh, I'll, I will make sure to link to all those resources on the show notes page, which will be available as always on our website at opportunitydb.com 
slash podcast. I'll have links to all the resources that Jack and I discussed on today's show. And please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast listening platform to always get the latest episodes. Jack, again, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. As a reminder, you can find us online at opportunitydb.com. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by Opportunity DB. This podcast is available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and all other podcast listening platforms. Just hit that subscribe or follow button so you get all of our new episodes as we release them. And we'll be back soon with another exciting episode.